Okay, so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to try, right at the end of the scene, I'm going to try and pull everything together. Um, so if this is your first or second time, you might have missed a couple of these, so I'll just tell you what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the vision for the church. Now, vision seems a, a big word, doesn't it? But this is what God's asked us to do. And so that's what we've been talking about. And it, and it came from something that was uh, happened well before we started Faith Life. And, you know, sometimes you, you get an idea or you get an impression or you get an image or a vision. And uh, what, where, where this came from was a, a, like a picture. And there was loads of people in this picture and they were all worshipping towards the centre of, of this picture. And in the centre, there was just white light. There was just Jesus. And it, it was all about him. And at the edges of that big crowd of people worshipping, there was, there was people going out and, and connecting with other people and bringing them in. So people were, were constantly joining and being invited in to, the, to this, this group of people. And that's, that's where Faith Life started. And, and that, at the same time as that, Cheryl had a real uh, desire to see Christians People in, in churches who've been around church for maybe 10, 15, 20 years or more, and they weren't able to make any progress. So they, nothing was changing in their lives because they didn't know who they were in Jesus. They didn't know what Jesus had done for them. And if they did know any of that, they didn't know how to use it. So that's how faith life got born. And um, now that's a long explanation, isn't it? And it's all... It, it, kind of hard to put detail onto so we we boiled that down to one sentence which is that you know for people have these things called vision statements and this is our vision statement to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus and as part of that Jesus gives every church a mission and the mission is to go and make disciples it's to go out and make disciples but also in terms of discipling them, it's so that we get to know Jesus more and get to love him more and be loved by him more. And then the mark of that happening in our church is when we love one another. And Jesus says, when you love one another, when that love for each other is evident, People who are not in the church, people who don't believe, people who don't even want to believe will recognize that and they'll go, they're Jesus' followers, they're Jesus' disciples. And that's the mission Jesus gives every church. So that's how we have to measure whether we're doing well or not as a, as a local church against those criteria. So how do we achieve that vision? How do we action that mission? How do we go about that? How do we measure against that mission to see if we're succeeding? And just as important, what will people have experienced when they come into contact with us? What do people experience when they meet us outside this room? And what do people experience when they meet us inside this room? This is why that's really important, because how you get to where you're going is more important than just getting there. How you get to where you're going is more important than just getting there. And so I, 
I, I want to focus on that this morning. Now, you're going to have to indulge me. I, I'm going to talk to you about a particular passion of my life this morning, other than Jesus and Shavel, you know. So this is a particular passion of mine, and I'll let you in on a secret, okay? Rice pudding. Rice pudding is a big passion of mine. So when I was a kid, when I was a kid at school, there used to be particular days that they did rice pudding at school. And so I don't know about your schools, but we used to have to line up in a lunch queue. And every year had its own turn in this lunch queue. But we used to, we, there was a bunch of us fans of the rice pudding day. And so we used to stay out playing football until all the queue had nearly gone. And then we used to join it at the end. And then we used to go through and we used to get our rice pudding. Why did we do that? Because if there was any rice pudding left, you could go back for seconds if you were still there at the end. So we were timing it, but we got extra rice pudding. And, and that love of rice pudding, unfortunately, has remained with me through my life, uh, despite the fact that I'm no longer quite as thin as I was in those days. But here's the, story, here's the point. No, even at school rice pudding was good, it wasn't as good as my mum's rice pudding. Because my mum's rice pudding is what I grew up with. And you might be thinking, well, why is he talking about rice pudding? Well, here's the thing. I've got, well, I haven't got, I have only one recipe book. This is my cookbook that I did by myself. And Cheryl has all the rest of the shelves of cookbooks. But in here is my favourite rice pudding recipe. So my favourite rice pudding recipe is Gary Rhodes rice pudding because it's the nearest I can find to my mum's. Okay. Now, Cheryl's favourite rice pudding recipe, so if you want my favourite, that's it. Cheryl's favourite is in here. This is, a, this is so old and so well used that the covers come off it. But we all support Norwich, don't we? No, we don't. <laughs> And here is Delia Smith's first appearance in Faith Life. And in Delia Smith's recipe book, there's a recipe for rice pudding. And this is what she says. What have I done with it? Tinned rice pudding might be convenient, but it bears no resemblance to real rice pudding, which always has a dark caramelized skin on top covering just the right amount of creaminess and stickiness inside. So, with that mouth watering thought. Now, here's the thing. On our bookshelf, there is 11 cookbooks that have recipes for rice pudding. And they all have different ingredients and different methods of cooking. 11 different ways you can make rice pudding. Why am I telling you all that? Because... Here's the thing, the ingredients you bake into something determine the flavour that comes out. And each rice pudding has a different flavour. Some of them are quite lemony, like Delia's. Some of them are more runny than others. Some of them have all sorts of interesting things in. But the ingredients you bake into something determines the flavour com that comes out. And it's the same with churches. They're all, all, all those different ingredients, different ways of making it, are all rice pudding. Churches have all sorts of different 
things that characterize them. Our calling, Faith Life's calling, as a local church is distinctive. It's meant to be distinctive. Because if we don't walk in what God called us to do, we might as well all go and join another church if we're not any different. Instead of existing ourselves. So we have a distinctive call. We've got our own vision and our own flavor, depending on what we bake in and what God asked us to bake into this church. Now, here's the, here's the thing. If I don't clarify the recipe, or we as a church don't clarify that recipe regularly, something happens. Other ingredients get brought in. Other methods get brought in. And we end up baking a church that is not what God called us to do. It's not a bad church. It's just there's this potential always within churches to drift away from the vision that God has given you. Just to remind you again, what's our vision? To lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. But it's easy and has happened on several occasions over time that we can drift away from that vision if we don't keep explaining it and talking about it. Because people have different ideas about how to do church and what should be included in all the different things that we do. People have a tendency, because they're good people, to do good things. But sometimes those good things are, don't help towards the vision. And sometimes because they take resource, they actually make it more difficult to do the vision. They're not bad things. They're just not the things that God gave us to do. We don't have to do everything that every church does. But what we do, we have to do really well, because that's what God's asked us to do. Sometimes the vision just gets misunderstood and we think we're doing great, but actually we're just getting in the way because we don't know that we're not doing what we want to do. Everybody's trying to do well, generally. I know that there's some people, maybe you know some of them, who, who actually aren't bothered. But generally people want to do well. They want to feel like they're contributing. But if they don't understand where you're going, they'll contribute in the best way they know how, and it might be helpful and it might not be helpful. And they won't know, and we won't necessarily know. And sometimes somebody comes along occasionally, this happens to every church, where they want to rewrite the recipe book and bring their own ideas and agendas in. And that, that's just common in churches. Because... God gives churches something specific to do. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit is with us. When we're not doing what he's asked us to do, we're on our own. And it's harder work. So therefore, it's important that we do what he's asked us to do. So, there's one component of the start of faith life that I haven't talked about yet. And I'm going to talk to you about it this morning. When we started, and, and Les and Joyce will remember this, and 
Gemma, wherever she sat. Gemma will remember this, and Cheryl and I will remember this, and Nicola might remember it, Roger and Olive might remember it, but it's this. When we started, we felt that, that we had a, a key uh, passage or a key uh, thing that God was showing us. And that comes from a letter that a guy called Paul, who was an apostle, he was an evangelist, and he, he went out and started churches. And he wrote this letter to a church in Ephesus. Okay? And what's particular about this church in Ephesus is it was in a city where one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was. And that, that, that wonder, it doesn't exist anymore. You can still see the, the footprint of it, but it, 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 it's gone. And it was a temple. And it was a temple to this, this goddess called Diana. If you were, that's if you were Roman. If you were, were Greek, she was called Artemis. So it's a temple of Artemis when you list the seven wonders of the ancient world. And that dominated this, this city called Ephesus. And worship went on in this temple. And what happened was that the, you, if you were a man, you were not allowed to serve in any way in that temple because it was worship to this goddess. So everything that took place in the temple was led by, by women. And there was all sorts of very strange and horrible stuff went on as part of this worship. And the only guys that were allowed in to, to the main meetings were eunuchs. And so it was, it was kind of a very strange thing. You, you, like you look back and you go, how did, this, how did this get to dominate a region? But dominate it did. And it was into that environment that one of Jesus' followers went. And that follower was a guy called John. You might remember John. He's the one who wrote one of the Gospels and kept saying in this Gospel, Jesus loved me, you know. Jesus loved me. So he went there and he started uh, doing some teaching in the synagogue and started a little church. Anyway, when he moved on, the, the rest of the Jesus followers send Paul and Timothy on a trip to Ephesus. Paul is, is like a lightning rod for action. So he, go, he goes into this place and people start to follow Jesus. And that's a problem because what happens originally is when they start to follow Jesus, they, start, they have this enormous bonfire in the market square where they burn all their books and scrolls and everything to do with occult practices as they turn to Jesus. And I, I can't remember the number, but it's a huge amount of money's worth of books and scrolls that they burnt. And, and they start turning to Jesus. And, and what happens is there's this guy called Demetrius, and he's upset about this. Why is he upset about this? He's not bothered about Diana or Artemis or whatever. Why he's upset about it is there's a whole load of people who are making stacks of money out of this temple worship, and it's destroying their businesses that all these people keep turning to become Jesus followers. I say Jesus followers instead of Christians because they weren't called Christians. They actually called themselves the way because they followed Jesus who said he was the way to get to heaven. When, when that original term, what we call ourselves by Christians, came into use, it was actually a derogatory term. 
It was, it, it was like an insult. So these Christians calling themselves away, and Demetrius has a, has a real go, and he, he, he rabble-rouses, and there's a riot. Because such is the effect of all these followers of Jesus. And, and as a result of that, that riot, a couple of things happen. One of which is Paul's, uh, he's been there quite a while at that point. In fact, he stayed here over two years. And he set up this place called the, in, in a, initially in the synagogue, but in a big hall called the Hall of Tyrannus. And he used to teach there. He used to have meetings like this. Uh, and he used to have them every day. Big meetings with lots of people. And uh, he did that for two and a half years. But at the end of that two and a half years, the church had had such an effect locally that he felt able to move on. So he moved on, and after a few years, he writes a letter to that church that John and he have planted and started. And it's doing really well, but there's some things he says. So here's the first thing that, that is really relevant to us and we got at the start of faith life. He, it, and it's from uh, that letter, letter to, letter to the Ephesians, written by Paul, and it's chapter 2, verse 10. And this is what he says. We are his workmanship. That means God made you. And he made you well. Whatever you think, he made you well. And he made you for a particular purpose. It, it's not an accident. God did a good job when he made you. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's how he does the good job. That's how he changes us. That's how he helps us. For, why does he do that? Because he has some things, he calls them good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. So God has a purpose for every believer. And in this context, Paul is saying God has a purpose for you, Ephesian church. And I want you to walk in what I've given you to do. And he said that that's not changed. Faith life, he's saying, I want you to walk in what I gave you to do. And every individual within faith life, I want you to walk in what he gave you to do as part of that body. That, that's where it starts. Now, we go down a little bit further, down another basically 10 verses to verse 20. And this is what it says. Having been built on the foundation laid by the apostles, Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building is fitted together and grows. In other words, this thing only works properly and well if everything is aligned to what Jesus asked us to do and what Jesus taught. A cornerstone is a stone you put in a building that basically sets the true of the building. Everything works off that building. You know when you sometimes see old buildings and they're all higgledy-piggledy? That's because they didn't line up to a cornerstone. So we line up and we work best when we focus on following Jesus. And so we go down a little bit further. And this is kind of the, the passage that everybody remembers, but I want you to remember and then forget one line off. Because this is not our vision. Our vision is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let me read you this passage. It's from chapter 3. And... Paul feels that he, he wants to pray for this church. 
So he says, right, I'm going to get on my knees. I'm telling you, this is what I'm doing. I'm getting on my knees and I'm praying for you, church. So if he was talking to us, he'd be saying, right, I might not be here, but I'm praying for you. And, and his prayers are powerful. And this is what he's praying. And when he prays this, I think Paul expected this to be answered. Because we don't pray if we don't want the answer, do we? So Paul's praying for this church in Ephesus. Now, look what he prays. I bow my knees to the Father our Lord Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The way, or Christians, or whatever we call ourselves. We're, we're all part of one family. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, he's got infinite supply. He can do whatever he needs to do. He's not, he's not short of stuff. He's not short of ability. Gone to his riches in glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That, that's, that's where Shell was coming from. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives should change us. The big thing about the presence of the Holy Spirit in a church isn't only things that we might see in front of us or the, the gifts that we might see. If there's no inward change, they become worthless. The primary aim of the Holy Spirit is to help us break free of stuff that have messed and wrecked our lives and help us to follow Jesus into the purpose he has for us that's going to make our lives. That's the primary function of the Holy Spirit. So, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. The Holy Spirit helps us believe Jesus and the things that Jesus promised. That's where our name comes from, that verse right there. Faith, faith life. That you being, here we go, rooted and grounded in love, which is not our vision, so immediately forget it, but it's important. Rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know that God loves you. To know that God loves you. That's just so key. That, that is the centre. Jesus at the centre, showing us how much God loves you. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The Holy Spirit, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and he connects to your heart and he helps you to walk in and see all the things that God has promised. And then it says, this will, um, yeah, sorry, I've, lost a, I've missed a page. Now to him who is able exceedingly abundantly, I like that, exceedingly abundantly. I really like succeeding abundance. Yeah, I like that idea. Exceedingly abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, the Holy Spirit in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ, all generations forever and ever. So important, so massive. 
Believing and following Jesus has the ability to totally transform your life and give you a quality and joy in life you could not ever get anywhere else. And then he goes on and he talks about how this works. What's the goal? What, what are we about? And he says, he himself, this is chapter four, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What for? To equip everybody else for the works of ministry. Those good works he gave us to walk in. The purpose of a pastor or a teacher or evangelist or apostle is not for them to be adored and build a ministry. The purpose is to equip people, to disciple people. For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How long should we do that for? This will continue until we all come to such unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son that we are all mature in the Lord, measuring up and looking like Jesus. So until we get there, we can't stop. None of us can stop until we look like Jesus. And as a church, we have to help people to start to look more and more like Jesus. Okay, so that's, that's where, that was the, the core scriptures that we started with in faith life and, and, and that which spoke to us and, and stirred us and, and kind of launched us. Now, let me, let me boil that down to, those, to the ingredients that that asks us to bake in. The, the, there's a link to rice pudding. Let me tell you the ingredients that asks us to bake in. The first one should be obvious, discipleship. We are meant to be a discipling church. Now, remember what I said about vision. Vision is about where you are going in the future. I'm not saying we have got here, because the minute I say, talk about these things, well, we're not doing that. Well, some things we are and some things we aren't. And if we're not doing them, and we're not doing them well enough, we start, need to start doing them well enough, and we're, or we need to start doing them. Because that's what God's asking us to do. So discipleship. Here's, here's what discipleship is. We are not about making members. We are about making disciples. And what does that mean? It means that we are not building a church, or not to build a church, that is just for mature believers. A small group of people who, who just like doing stuff certain ways. But equally, we are not building a church that is specifically aiming for non-believers. We're to build one that helps everybody along the way. And if you remember those diagrams I put a few weeks ago, we have to start with somebody who doesn't know Jesus at all if we're going to fill, fulfill what discipleship. We have, to, we have to start out there. Not way over here. We have to start way over there. And, and so there's a corrective needed because in lockdown and subsequent to lockdown, we moved way over here. And we need to move back out there. We need to get Jesus' vision for all the lost and hurting and struggling and confused people who aren't yet 
following Jesus. So wherever you are, from mature believer to not even knowing if you ever want to believe, you should be able to find the next step that you can take when you encounter us as a body. That, that's the principle of discipleship. Discipleship works, should work for everybody or it will work for nobody. Second component, second ingredient, reaching out. The vision specifically includes, and this is, you might not like the way I put this, but a come and see culture. Remember those people going in and out and bringing people in? Okay, so what do I mean by that? It's where people, you guys, are inspired and proud to invite people to come and have a look at what we do and how we follow Jesus. Who would we do that to? Well, I don't want to categorize it because I think that culture was not defined by God. You know, that who, who we're supposed to be reaching. So we need to be proud and ready for people to be invited by us into here who have never known Jesus who may never want to know Jesus, who knew Jesus once and they struggled with their faith and, and maybe they've gone backwards. People have got involved in all sorts of stuff that they wish they never got involved in. And mature believers and growing believers who are struggling because they're not able to do that. They've sat there for 10, 20, 30 years and not grown, and not been discipled. So we're reaching out right across. There's no limits on who we should reach. And that come and see what that needs us to do is create a place where whoever comes, they feel welcomed, they feel accepted, they feel encouraged to connect with Jesus' message in person. And it also assumes the church is at Paul actively reaching out in a way that's capable of connecting people to the church. Actively reaching out in a way that's capable of connecting people to the church. Now, when I talk about this, I just want to clarify a few things on this. The first thing is this, that when we talk about reaching out, most of us go, I'd love to do it, but I've been a Christian so long, I don't have any non-Christian friends. I don't know. I, I, like, I only talk to Christians. So how, how, do we, how do we solve that? And then others of us think, well, I just want to do it locally. I'll do it where I live. And, and that's the problem that we, we have in church these days. And it's a problem with every church, apart from those little local parish churches, that people travel to church. And that's okay. And that's good. But you have to pick a mission field because the reality is trying to do it solo only works to a point. It works to the point that you can manage with the time you've got, with the stressful life you've got, without 
been able to rely on other people to give you a lift, to help, to, to have the things in place that will help that person be discipled, will help their kids grow, help their kids learn about Jesus, help their kids become believers in Jesus, and get together with others in order to reach even more people. You can't do that solo. And, and whenever people have come to me in the past and said, well, we need to do this, and I live there, and I live there, we need to do it locally. The fact is, we never, ever do. Because it's scary doing it on your own. And it's difficult. And even if you manage to make some progress, what's next for that person? How do they ever get discipled? How do their kids get discipled? That was Jesus' great genius in creating the church and the local church. You know, when he's writing to Ephesus, he's writing to a local church. He's not writing to the church as a whole. He's writing to a local church. So what can you do? What practically can you do if you, 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 you feel too nervous to talk to people about Jesus yourself, you don't know what you could do even if you did, and, and you feel on your own? What can you do? Well, here's some awesome, amazing things you and every single person in this room can do to help us fulfill our mission to reach people for Jesus. And I'm asking you to sign up to it. Here's some awesome things you can do. Something everybody can do. Here's the first thing you can do. Be in the room. Be here on a Sunday. You can't bring people if you're not here. And more to the point, if somebody brought somebody and we're not here... They're probably never coming back. There's nothing worse than walking into an empty room where people ignore you or there's just, they're just not there. There's just nothing worse if you're trying to find Jesus. Here's something else we can do. Be in the room early. There's a, there's a critical point when visitors, people who come for the first time, typically arrive. And they come before the service starts. That's why they sometimes in the past have walked into empty rooms. Because they come at about 20 past to 25 past 10. That's why, that's what we can do. Why? Because the way people come to know Jesus is when they see Jesus in other people. So it's really important that they see Jesus. And the only way they're going to see Jesus is if we're here. And we have to do something else. Even when we don't have a visitor any particular week, we have, always have to work on the assumption that they're in the room. Because you never know when we're going to get a visitor or a guest or somebody who somebody has been talking to about Jesus for a year, 18 months, and they come along for the first time. We don't want to blow that for one of our, our, our church family, do we? What else can you do? Get involved with stuff where we do outreach. Get involved with the Get Messy. Get involved with the Wednesday nights that we're doing. Be there. It's not hard. It either requires you to sit with people or shove things through letterboxes. It's not difficult. But in doing that, you're going to get people saved. 
And even if you can't do any of that, even if that's too much for you, here's what I tell you you should do. You should give more to fund doing that. Because for some of us, that's the biggest contribution we can make. So that's how we reach out corporately. These are the important things. Right, so that's number two. Number three, growth. This is another ingredient, growth. That, that people would be enabled and taught how to grow in faith. That means trusting Jesus and following him. That's a really easy one to um, describe. That people would be helped to know what Jesus has done for them, the promises he's made for them, and how to use those promises. That's, that's kind of what we're about, talking about how we trust Jesus and trusting Jesus more. Number four, expectation. I've called it expectation of the miraculous. If that's too jargony for you, then apologies. But basically what I'm saying here is that we actually believe that God can do something to help us and that he'll do what he said he'll do. That, that's a really, and we expect him to do it. So when we pray, there's an expectancy that we'll get answers. When, when we see somebody who's ill, we pray expecting God to do something. There's an expectation there. Number five, and here we go. Rooted in Jesus' love for us and others. So what would that mean if we, if we hit that one when we measure it? What would that look like? Because sometimes we've got closer than others and sometimes we've been a million miles away. This is what it means. It means a place, faith life, where people individually care for each other and encourage each other and spur each other on. A place that we create together that is welcoming, that is inviting for guests, inviting for first-timers, and not to sure returners to the faith, where there is not contention and there is not division. That's what it means. That's what we've got to measure by. That's our goal. That's what Jesus is asking us to do because Jesus said, this is how everybody who doesn't know me is going to assess whether I am real or not if you love each other. If you don't, they have no chance of coming to know me. That's what we've got to be as a church. We can't take that lightly. And here's the last ingredient. Jesus is the central message we communicate. Helping people knowing how to follow Jesus. Helping people know what Jesus did for them. Helping people know the incredible value we place on Jesus. And, and that has to reflect in how we do things. Because the incredible value we place on Jesus has to reflect in the value and the excellence with which we do things. I talked about that in, in the last, last time. To know him, to follow him, to live for him, to join our energy together, giving our best in humility so that he gets the glory and recognition. So, let me kind of put a couple of final comments on this. 
in pursuing that vision and that mission, in obedience to and in love for Jesus, we will not necessarily seek to do everything, nor will we try and do everything in every meeting. Meetings have particular purposes. So we need to be really clear what each meeting's for and do it brilliantly and do it excellently and do it to the best that we can. And if meetings aren't producing fruit, we stop them. If the things we are doing aren't producing, we find another way with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that will produce fruit. Because the Holy Spirit's not got a problem with producing fruit if we follow him. And one of the indicators is, is it producing fruit? Because <laughs> if it's not, it's not. And, and you can put a lot of time, a lot of effort into educating people beyond their effectiveness. And if we've been guilty of anything, it's that. That and the fact we've got somewhere to go on the rooted and grounded in love occasionally. Let's come back to that word God gave us to finish at the start of service. What we do, we do well. In all that we do, we do all things well. What we bake into faith life from here on in will determine the flavor that the Holy Spirit is able to use to save lives, heal lives, set people free. So we've got to break in the things that he gave us to bake in. And we've got to do them well. And we've got to stay focused on them. And if we'll do that, the Holy Spirit will be with us. And he'll do the heavy lifting. Because that's the great thing. When he's got an idea, he does the heavy lifting. Amen. Okay, so I've got, let, I've got a question for you. You know, we've been doing these questions at the end of each meeting. So just before we, we, we finish the refreshment... Here's the question that I want you to have a chat about to the person next to you. Have a, th have a think about yourself, then have a chat about it to the person next to you. Then go for your coffee and your biscuits. Yeah? If you feel uncomfortable chatting to the person next to you, then don't worry about it. That's okay. That's okay. But just have a think about the question. Here's the question. In its question two on there, in acknowledging that reaching out as an individual may be difficult, what can you personally do to help our collective mission? What actions should you take to action this now? Okay. And that's a bad sentence, isn't it? Same word twice in the sentence. So I'm just going to pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you have, uh, from the beginning, gave us a clear vision. I'm sorry when we've lost sight of that vision, Lord. I'm sorry when, we've, when, it, when it's, it's just drifted. I'm sorry when we've measured all the wrong things. But I thank you, Lord, that you have called us back to it. You are focusing on it. And I thank you, Lord, in faith that you are stirring hearts right now right across this room and beyond this room to do the good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. Amen. Amen, Faith Life.